0: I'm Mark Peterson, and this is Before, During, and After, a podcast from FEMA. We're so excited to be back with new episodes, a new title, and a new focus. Kicking us off, today we sit down with FEMA Administrator Deanne Criswell to talk about her journey to being named administrator, changes we've made as an agency, and FEMA's new strategic plan. Deanne Criswell, thank you so much for joining us. The FEMA administrator, we're so excited to both relaunch the FEMA podcast and also have you as our very first guest on this uh, after our hiatus and starting this back up. Thank you for joining me.
1: Mark, thanks so much. I am thrilled to be here with you today.
0: Deanne, you are not a stranger to FEMA and you're definitely not a stranger in the emergency management community, but I wondered if we could just start off by um, just Tell us a little bit about your journey um, to becoming the FEMA administrator. And, you know, specifically, I know that you have a really dynamic background on so many levels of emergency management. And, And so I think it'd just be interesting. Just tell us about that professional journey.
1: And I like the way you phrase that, Mark, because I have often said the same thing. It has certainly been a professional journey, and it's not been one that I knew uh, every step along the way what was going to happen next. Um, it has been a series of um, taking advantage of different opportunities so I could grow um, both professionally and personally, and they keep leading me to additional opportunities, which has led me to here and it starts in, um, in Colorado, so I was uh, in Colorado, I was a single parent, I was looking for money to go back to school, so I joined the Colorado Air National Guard and became a firefighter in the military, fell in love with the profession of firefighting, never thought that that's what I was going to do, and came back to Colorado and started to apply for different departments in the Denver metro area, and ended up getting hired with the Aurora Fire Department, um great decision spent 17 years there um served in a variety of different roles but the last role being their emergency manager um as you know across the country many of the emergency management positions fall within some other public safety discipline and, and that's what it hap- that's what it was in in uh, aurora um so it fell underneath the fire chief and so I did that for a few years and my indoctrination to that was hurricane katrina um I was brand new in the role and I got a call from the state that said hey Deanne Aurora's going to receive 2,000 evacuees from Louisiana, and you're in charge. And So that was welcome to the world of emergency management and figuring out how to solve the tough problems that are out there. So I did that for several years, worked with Aurora, and then decided it was time for the next challenge and came to FEMA and went to Region 8 as a federal coordinating officer, deployed to several different disasters. Uh, They brought me up to headquarters with one of the most – fun jobs I think I've had, which was to start the FEMA Corps program, Uh, an incredible opportunity for the next generation of emergency managers, and uh, they have transformed, I think, how FEMA does business in a positive way, and I was so excited when I came back here in this role to see that they're still here. Um, And then, you know, moved on to our national IMAT team, Um, again, leading a team of individuals to some of the most complex disasters that we have. Spent a couple of years in the private sector um, and then went over to New York City to be the Commissioner of Emergency Management. And then that was obviously one of the most challenging years that I've had. Uh, that was the year that I was there during the COVID-19 crisis and New York City was the epicenter of that. And some of the most challenging but rewarding, I would say, experiences that I've had throughout my emergency management career. Um, and I think that led me to here. When I got a call from the transition team and ultimately then President-elect Biden, who said, hey, would you want to lead my disaster response agency? And and I said, absolutely, I would be honored. And so here I am, Mark.
0: Well, we are so glad to have you. And, you know, there are so many things in there that I want to try to cover. Um, everything from you know, thinking about the next generation of emergency managers uh, to also having these experiences in a wide variety of different um, emergency management departments. And, you know, given that you're also you are not only the first uh, federal coordinating officer who's become a, a FEMA administrator, um, You have a lot of first, and we're going to get to some of those, but um, you're also the first uh, first FEMA administrator that has come directly from a big city emergency management organization. Um, And then, of course, you have the smaller emergency management organization background, too. How do you think that those experiences enhance your philosophy about emergency management and shapes your perspective now that you're here um, as the FEMA administrator?
1: I think, Mark, that those experiences um, are entirely influencing my philosophy, and that being we have to remember that the role that FEMA plays is to help people. And it's about how do we make their lives easier, how do we give them the assistance that they need to support their communities before, during, and after disasters. And being the recipient of assistance from the federal government, um, from across different agencies in the federal government, I remember what it was like to try to navigate that bureaucracy. And we all know it can be very difficult and hard to break down some of those barriers, but my focus is trying to understand those barriers. How do we better understand the barriers that some of our communities are facing? Understanding what it was like for a team of two and a half in Aurora, Colorado, or a team of 250 in New York City. What they all had different barriers, right? They all had different problems. Um, the scale may have been different, but trying to figure that out, I think is our responsibility now at the federal government to help people so they can get the assistance that they need for their communities.
0: yeah, absolutely, and I think uh, i it, I can just hear it that um, I think a lot of that probably influenced the strategic plan, which I would like I'd like to get to in a second, but i maybe before we do that, I just want to talk about some of the changes that you've probably experienced um, since being at FEMA and then coming back. And I think top of mind for me is just the changes that we've seen over the last two years uh, because of the COVID-19 response and the things that we've had to do to adapt uh, here as an agency. And so, you know, I wonder just off the top of your head, what what are some of the thoughts that you have about the impact of COVID on the way that we do business and how we're going to do business going forward?
1: I think the biggest thing that I see as how FEMA adapted their business model um, in the response to COVID-19 is really the skill set that emergency managers bring to the table. And that is regardless of the problem, the fact that we know how to bring interagency cross collaboration together and drive um, success um, meeting the outcomes of the problems that we're facing. Um, was really valuable during COVID-19. And we saw, not just at FEMA, but I think across the country, we saw emergency managers leading the coordination of multiple different agencies to help respond to the immediate needs that they were facing. And it demonstrates the value that emergency managers bring to the table. And what I want to be able to do with that information is help advocate for our profession going forward so our elected leaders know, hey, your emergency managers are important. They are the most valuable asset that you have when you're facing the unknown. And we need to invest in their growth and their ability to continue to do the excellent job that we saw throughout COVID-19.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm so proud of the work that we've done as an agency um, you know, th- over the last couple of years, and uh, it's really been inspiring to see. And so now, as we look towards the next couple of years, um, not long after you were confirmed, uh, we released FEMA's new strategic plan. And... Um, I wanted to see if you could walk us through how that strategic plan was formed, um, the development of it, and, uh, and really where you see it taking us.
1: Mark, I am so proud of our strategic plan. And I think the thing that I am the most proud of is how we created it, right? Instead of having a group of leaders here at headquarters sit down and try to decide what we needed to do over the next five years we reached out to our customers, to our employees, to get their input into what we needed to do. Um, we guided that discussion with the phrase of, how do we become the FEMA that our nation needs and deserves? And so with that, we had input from over a 1,000 of our employees, um, several hundred of our external stakeholders, over 50 tribes. And so this, what this is, is this is a strategic plan that has been built from the ground up. And so when I walk around and I talk about the strategic plan with our employees and with our stakeholders, they're very excited about it and they believe in it. And now that we're going through the execution phase, we're getting more people involved. They want to be part of applying this and executing the strategic plan so we can become the FEMA that our nation needs and deserves.
0: Let's start with the goal one. how do you see FEMA continuing to build on the work that we've done previously towards um, achieving equity in our disaster programs? How do you see us um, uh, building towards equity in disaster assistance and, and influencing all of the emergency management community, not just FEMA and our programs?
1: It's a great question. You know, I'll go back a little bit on the COVID-19 side. We know, right? We know as emergency managers that disasters often disproportionately impact underserved communities, but it was really right in front of us during COVID-19 and not just in one small area. Across the country, we saw the disproportionate impact that it was having on communities everywhere across this nation. And so what FEMA did, and many of our communities and our emergency managers across the nation did, is they had that focus of, okay, how do we reach those communities? How do we better understand what their needs are so we can help them respond um, and and hopefully mitigate the impacts that COVID-19 is having? And I think that's really what was driving the whole focus around equity is how do we continue with that mindset? How do we better understand the barriers that communities have or individuals have in receiving assistance after they experience a disaster. You know, for many of them, this is the the worst day of their life, and they're going through a whole lot of different emotions and struggles as they're trying to figure out how they're going to respond and recover from this event. And so we have to do a better job of putting them first and, and understanding what their barriers are. And then looking at our programs and what can we do within our programs or our own policies to help limit or reduce the the barriers that they're experiencing so we can deliver the services that are needed. I think one of the phrases that I continue to use is we can't have a one-size-fits-all approach, right? That's what we saw during COVID-19. We couldn't have a one-size-fits-all approach because then we wouldn't be reaching those that needed us the most, And I think the other part where I think we as an agency, as well as emergency managers across the nation, need to understand, too, is, again, this is a tough time. Many of these small communities, individuals, we need to figure out how do we get to them. We did that during COVID-19 with the vaccine mission. We've done that through several of the natural disasters. FEMA has disaster survivor assistance teams that go out there. How do we get to the people, those that we know need the assistance, instead of forcing them to figure out how to come to us and navigate our systems? So, for me, when I think about equity, it's about the two principles that I kind of elaborated on putting people first and understanding what their barriers are so we can help them get the services and the, the resources that they need.
0: Yeah. And, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, equity leads us into the next goal of climate resilience. And so, I'm, I want to. Talk to me a little bit about what you, how you define climate resilience, and, and then how do you consider the risks of climate change now and in the future, and also specifically on emergency management?
1: You know, it's, um, it's the topic of the day, right? Uh, you may have heard me say, I believe that this is the crisis of our generation. I think where we're at right now is, you know, many people look at FEMA as a response and recovery agency. Right, We get out there and we respond after a disaster happens or we're posturing right before a hurricane makes landfall and then we're there to support the long-term recovery. But one of the fundamental principles of emergency management has always been mitigation and preparedness. And so how do we shift our focus and really our cultural way of approaching disasters to have more emphasis on the mitigation side and reducing the impacts that we're seeing Um, And that's what the data is showing, right? We are seeing more severe disasters. They're intensifying more rapidly. We're having more complex, longer recoveries. We have to put more emphasis on this mitigation side, as well as the preparedness side for individuals so they better understand what their risk is so they can better protect their families. So as we go forward and I think about climate resilience, it's really focusing on that preparedness and that mitigation side, making sure that people have the tools and resources to understand their risk and they know how to take the actions that they need to for individuals protect their family or for communities to reduce the impact through mitigation.
0: Uh, So I'd like to switch gears just a little bit, um, but I believe it was last year at the National Emergency Managers Association Conference, you talked about the needs for a systems-based approach in emergency management. And I wonder if you talk a little about what you meant by that and also how you see FEMA becoming a leader in achieving it for the larger community.
1: I think where we are at when we talk about climate resilience is this systems-based approach, um, and and we're talking about it now as kind of place-based initiatives, um, is going to be essential, right? A lot of the work that we have done within mitigation has been very incremental, Um, a house-by-house approach or small projects, and primarily because the funding that we've had has limited us to that, right? We we had federal cost shares in our pre-disaster mitigation program, or federal um, investment of a max of $5 million, but through BRIC it's up to $50 million, which means that we can do bigger projects. We can do system-wide projects that are going to have exponential impacts to reducing the effects that these communities are, are experiencing And so what we need to do as FEMA is understand where our communities could benefit from these types of larger projects and give them the technical assistance that they need to help think about those projects better, right? Again, we talked about the barriers that people are experiencing. Small staffs, they have a hard time thinking about larger type projects that they could potentially do or then navigating our system and applying for it, or developing the project that that could be competitive. And so, through our technical assistance program, we want to help those communities. We want to help those that need it the most, but potentially don't have the resources to actually get to that next step.
0: Okay, so Deanne, uh, you know, I don't, I know you don't have a ton of time, and so you know, I'd like to just maybe talk a little bit about before we end. Um, you know, you mentioned disasters are becoming more frequent and severe and complex, and we're certainly seeing that out here in the Midwest, and the demands placed on emergency managers in the community have really dramatically increased. Um, and I think everyone in the community can probably see that over the last couple of years being pulled into a variety of different missions that might we might not have naturally thought we would, we would um, be engaged in. And so um, how are we Really, changing our approach to readiness and national preparedness within FEMA. Um, and how do you think it will translate into increasing the overall uh, national emergency management capabilities?
1: You know I think as as we continue to watch these threats change or the emerging threats, right, or emerging problems um, that are continually being brought to emergency managers to solve, We, I think, as emergency managers, need to shift our focus. Um, You know, one of the things that I heard when I first got here was we've become the federal government's 911. And should we really be doing that? And so I asked the team, I said, so define emergency. Does emergency just mean disaster response? Or is an emergency something that is just a large problem that requires interagency collaboration to come in and fix And as I talked earlier, I think this is the skill set that makes emergency managers so valuable. And that is the skill set I think that we need to embrace to continue to advance our profession. And so what I want to be able to do is, one, um, embrace that more. I, I don't think that we need to push back. I think we need to embrace the fact that, hey, we are really good at solving complex problems. And how do we build a profession and recruit from you know high school and, and colleges and let them know the, the types of things that they're going to be able to do um, as they enter this career field? And then for us, once we do that and we embrace it, how do we build our organizational structure around it? This is going to take time. This is not something that we're going to fix this year, but we need to then structure ourselves in a way that is going to be able to sustain the tempo that we're seeing as a result of the emerging threats and the emerging problems that we're continually being asked to solve think when we do that, then we, we, again, increase our value. We increase our value for the types of things that we're going to be brought in to do. Um, and it also, I think, gives us the platform to advocate for our emergency managers across the country to do the same thing.
0: I mentioned at the uh, beginning of our conversation that you are um, a FEMA administrator of many firsts. And one of those firsts is that you are the first female emergency... Uh, Female FEMA administrator, and uh, as we sit here today during Women's History Month, um, how do you hope that you can influence young girls uh, to pursue a a career in emergency management?
1: I'm so honored to be able to be in this position and to hopefully inspire other young women um, across the country and the what this position can be, right, and what you can achieve when you set out to um, become an emergency manager. Um, I guess you know what I would say is it's a it's a profession that is still young and growing. Um, but I see when we have women in leadership positions, we bring more women into the um into the room to help solve the problems the the perspective that we bring, one of both compassion but yet confidence in our abilities, gives us a different platform for how we're approaching our problems. and I think, for any woman out there trying to decide what's the right career path for you, this is one that really maximizes so many of the strengths that I think women bring to the table in general and can really advance how we help people.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Before, During, and After, a podcast from FEMA. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics or have ideas for future episodes, visit us at fema.gov podcast.